This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Required Listening. I'm your host, Scott Goldman, Executive Director of the Grammy Museum. Each week in the Clive Davis Theater, I have the chance to speak with artists from across the musical spectrum about their careers, their inspirations, and their creative process. Now, with Required Listening, I'm excited to share these interviews with you. On today's episode, my conversation with one of the biggest artists in country music, Keith Urban. I interviewed Keith in front of a live audience as part of the 2018 South by Southwest Music Conference in Austin, Texas. In many ways, Keith Urban helped rewrite the rules for country music. His self-titled 1999 debut album produced four hit singles and paved the way for his successful career. He opened for major country artists, and his subsequent albums, Golden Road and Be Here, produced more hits and platinum sales. Our conversation focused on his influences and creative process. We talked about how he learned to make your own thing from John Mellencamp, and how the try-anything-do-anything approach his wife employs in acting has served him well in music. So let's go to the Austin Convention Center and listen to my conversation with Keith Urban. Would you please welcome Keith Urban? Thank you, Scott. Thanks, brother. Thank you very much. The hell of an intro. Yeah. Hi, Austin. Well, thanks for uh, stopping by. Well, we, thank you. It's we, good to be back. We, we appreciate it. You know, um, you and I were talking just before we started, and, and the one thing, and, and we've had the chance to do this a couple times, um, yeah. um, to, to talk about songwriting and, and your process. And I've rarely run into artists who get as animated as you do when you start talking about songwriting right. and, and the things that move you in music. So enrolling the videotape way back to, to your you know, very earliest childhood, what is it that happened then that kind of inspires this passion for music? What, what, what were you hearing when you were growing up? Uh, well, my father was a drummer uh, in the 50s, and his father played piano, and all of his brothers played instruments. 
And I, I got that wonderful gift of rhythm and music at a very early age. And my mum and dad, for some reason, bought me a ukulele when I was four. And they said I could strum in time with songs on the radio, yeah. you know. And so they sort of said, well, I guess what you need to learn now is chords. And uh, they, somebody said six is a good, a good age for learning guitar. Dark, yeah. And so they had this little corner store that they ran, and this woman came by called Sue McCarthy when I was six years old, weirdly enough, and asked to put an um, ad in the window to teach guitar lessons. And they said, just teach our kid and we'll put your Don't. ad in the window. Don't. So that's how it got started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your dad had a record collection, a lot of great country artists <laughs> yeah. that, that, that you heard. Yeah, because he, had, because he had grown up playing music in the 50s and then rock and roll, this new thing called rock and roll came mm. along. He was obsessed with that. You know, he grew up in New Zealand and played in a band doing all Bill Haley and the Comets and Elvis and Buddy Holly and everything from the 50s. And then so as the 60s came along and rock kind of diverged into all kinds of things, because at the beginning it was very rockabilly influenced, yeah, of yeah. course, you know. And so there was a lot of people that kind of went different ways and my dad went more of a folk way in the 60s. And then eventually over towards country. So mm. that's, that's how we ended up being. Yeah. You, you did have a formative experience in seeing Johnny Cash. Yeah. Very, yeah. very you were young. It was, you, my, it was my first concert. Yeah. yeah. It was um, uh, maybe five. Uh -huh. I think I was about five. Yeah. And my dad, it's, it's a good age to see Johnny Cash, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, my brother and I, my dad bought us little Western shirts with little bowler ties <laughs> and the whole thing. And off we went to see Johnny Cash. And what I remember from that concert, you know, was just how loud the crowd was. And it was a 5,000 seat venue, which when you're tiny, might as well be a stadium. Yeah. And I'd never, the first concert I'd ever been to. And I remember just the roar of everybody when this guy walked out on stage. And it's never left me, you know, mm. that, that power of that, uh, when he played the guitar and, and sang, it was ex just an extraordinary yeah. thing, that connection he made with everybody. Yeah, well, and, and we, were, we were having a conversation earlier about Willie Nelson. And that life force yeah. of, of performance. And yeah, you use that term because it says yeah. he's 80, 85. 85. And just still kicking ass out there yeah. on the road. It's unbelievable yeah. and yeah. so inspiring. And as you said, it's, it is that life force when you get on stage. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm sure, kind of what you were feeling even at five as Cash walks out there. And, I think it was more that recognition of this is the thing I'm meant to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, think, I think it was more that. Hmm. It was like, oh, this is... This feels familiar. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you got a guitar. Um, tell, tell me about your early guitar heroes. Just the guy that lived up the street, you know, and the, <laughs> the guy that played in the local band and, like, all the unknown cats who never get props who, yeah. I, I think, more often than not, I think the local cats influence a lot of guitar mm. players. Certainly in my case they were. Yeah. Unknown names that, for me, were, like, I wish I could play as good as that guy. Yeah, yeah. I wish guys play as good as Reg Grant or, <laughs> you know, Dallas Salvam and, uh, and all these guys <laughs> playing in cover bands, yeah. you know? Yes. Yeah. You had, um, <laughs> one of the things I would love to do is talk to, you know, great artists and compile, you know, a list or a book of the names of their early bands because inevitably they're fantastic. And there, there was a band, I'm not sure you were in this band, but there, there was a band named Fractured Mirror. Right, yeah. Um, um, yeah. And, and you, had, you had something to, you got a guitar off the guy, or, or what, what was that story? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, you know, I, I grew up playing country. Mm -hmm. that, that was what my, what my parents immersed me into, and it yeah. was what I took root to. 
But I'm also listening to Top 40 radio and, and just sort of loving everything, pop, yeah. music, country music, rock, every, whatever was being played. And sort of in my teenage years, got asked to join this band called Fractured Mirror, which was basically a heavy metal band. And they played Judas Priest and Saxon and Whitesnake and uh, <laughs> some, threw some ACDC in there and, and so it's just Scorpions. And I didn't know anything about that music. And they already had a lead singer, so I just had to play guitar. But I had a, I had a Fender Telecaster and a, and a cool little Fender Twin reverb. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, that's not going to fly. You need, you need a Marshall stack. And, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I can't afford a Marshall stack. But the singer had one. And so he loaned me his Marshall stack, and I was in heaven. It was like, plug the strap into yeah. this Marshall, and off we went. So that was, that was, I was in that band for about eight seconds. Because, <laughs> <laughs> moving, moving on. Well, because, because I just also discovered Ricky Skaggs. And... Um, Ray Flack, who was the guitar player guitar on those player. records, yeah. was doing all this stuff called chicken picking, and I was obsessed with that. And so one night when I was playing with Fractured Mirror at this gig, one of only three gigs I think we ever did, we were playing some song by one of these heavy metal bands, and I busted out a solo and sort of started chicken picking through the Marshall stack, and the band's like, what the, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and they fired me. And so that was... <laughs> That was the beginning of my rolling conundrum. Yeah, yeah. Musically, yeah. but there was there was a moment there there was a moment in um, in 1988 when John Mellencamp came to Australia. Mm. You've talked about this um, y- y- in terms of seeing him, you know, kind of kind of getting an understanding of a marriage, you know, of of roots music yeah, and yeah. energy. Yeah. Well, and even more so because of um, that experience of feeling like I love a lot about country music, I love a lot about rock music, and I've played in, by that stage, I'd been playing five nights in clubs since I was 15. I quit mm. school at 15 and was playing five nights a week, four hours a night in clubs. And that's all I knew was playing covers and slipping in a few little originals. And, but I was like, man, I love rock, I like country artists, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And it was on that Lonesome Jubilee tour. Mm. And yeah, it just, it was such a, a fusion of styles unlike I'd ever heard before. And I went to that concert, and I just remember uh, his band was phenomenal. You know, Kenny Arif on drums. Yeah. He has this rock rhythm section, but he also had acoustic guitar, and he had a fiddle player. Lisa Germano was on fiddle, and he had accordion. It was just like this incredible fusion of sounds and styles and influences. And what I took for, took away from that, I'm lucky that I got to meet John many, many years later. And mm. I said, what what I took away from that concert, I didn't leave that concert thinking, oh, I'm going to be uh, that's I'm going to be John Mellencamp. What it took away from it was like, oh, just take all the things you love and mm. put them together in your own way and make your own thing. Mm. That's, that's what that concert did for me yeah. that night. It was really important. That through line would play throughout the rest of, of your career right up until Ripcord and, and, mm. and this record mm. in terms of kind of pursuing the things you love. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there's, there's, there's a country through line there, but it's really very much about you pursuing what you here yeah and and what you you know what you want to do yes when did you start writing songs i wished i'd started earlier i said i wrote really crap poetry in school a little basic like juvenile poetry um probably about my girlfriend and stuff like that <laughs> and really rudimentary stuff and then i sort of had the idea that i should try and put some chords around it and you know so i think that was the embryo start of writing yeah. for me. But I was in a cover band in 1988 
I wasn't the lead singer. I was playing guitar and sort of a sideman. And but we'd we'd started writing songs as a band, and we had this big following uh, as a cover band. And we were trying to tell the lead singer, let's slip in a few originals now. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's turn the tide a bit, you know. And, and every night that we would get to the set list, and it was like Moni Moni and like all these cover songs, and we'd get to the original, the band would be so excited. The lead singer would be like, yeah, skip that one, go down to Freebird or something. And we're just like, ah. <laughs> and, and so that was the start of me going away Wait. from that. And going, mm. Well, I need to get my own band going and write my own things. Yeah, yeah. You, in 92, I think, made a trip to Nashville. Here's a kid from Australia. Mm. Now, you might have been to, to Nashville once prior, at, yeah. you know, yeah. at, but you made the commitment to go in, in 92. Were you, that had to be somewhat nerve-wracking. I, I, it was exciting, because yeah. I'd always, always wanted to live in Nashville. Uh-huh. I mean, I've grown up on the back of all my dad's albums all say recorded in Nashville, Tennessee, recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm sure if they said recorded in Austin, I'd be living here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's just, that's just where everything was recorded. Yeah. So I, that's where I ended up. Yeah. But it was always the goal. You ended up there and, and it was, you know, the, the Nashville community um, in terms of its songwriting process is, you know, kind of well known and well understood. There's this tradition of, of co-writing and working with others, mm, and, mm. Um, um, you know, appointment kind of songwriting. Mm. How did you find your way in that? Or did you? Oh, it was really hard at first, because that's, it's a weird phenomena. Walking into a room, meeting somebody, windowless room, couple of yellow legal pads and an acoustic guitar and a stranger and try and write a song. It's like, it, it didn't, it was, it just, it didn't, it's so unnatural for me. It, um, I'd never written like that before and it was very odd. Mm. But that's what my publishing company had flown me over to do. And that would, you know, so uh, that's what I did. Yeah. Drive down to Music Row and meet whoever and write whatever mm. today, you know. Ugh. That was a struggle that went on for a little while. I mean, you kind of had to figure out what really works for you. Yeah. Well, I was also learning because I'm, you know, mm. I still, no matter how long I've been writing songs, when you get to Nashville or, or Austin or anywhere where there's just a history of incredible songwriting. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's like being an actor landing in New York on Broadway all of a sudden. You're like, oh, I got a lot of work to do. do yeah. you know, did that, you, I could feel that. Did, did you have a, a mentor, mentors, people who gave you kind of good advice, encouragement? It's a, it's a good question because a lot of the times I find myself going, how do you know which advice to take on and which to discard? Because a lot of it's crap. A lot mm. of the advice is actually not right. It's just that person and their experience I remember being in Australia one time having come back from America and I was playing some country festival and I was backstage and I was so excited about getting back to America. It was like just so exciting to me. And this older artist said to me, oh, yeah, I heard you, heard you went over America, did that thing, huh? I said, yeah, 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 you know. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you've got to get it out of your system, don't you? And I, was, I could have punched him. I just felt <laughs> so infuriated at that way of seeing the world right. and feeling about what you do, because it was the antithesis of how I felt. Yeah. You, you wanted to explore. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 just get yeah. out of my comfort zone and keep meeting new people and new environments. Right, yeah. which actually you know, beca- also becomes a through line in, in your career in terms of challenging yourself and going beyond, I, I think, your, 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 your comfort level. But in the process, you know, kind of in getting to your first album, 
um, in in '99. I'm I'm wondering, especially in the early years, what's what's the strangest place you ever had to go play? Was was there was there some like uh, just <laughs> oddball place? Well, yeah, there were. There were yeah. I mean, you play anywhere. There's plenty of you guys in the You play anywhere, anywhere yeah. you can. And uh, the strangest gig, mm. I, the first thing I always think of was. I had a manager that did some shoddy deal with some airline in Australia for free tickets if we did a gig for the airline, which sounds what could possibly go wrong. And, uh, <laughs> so we, the gig turns out to be in this little um, town called Tamworth, which is the country music capital of Australia. It's a big city now, but it was a little town then, more so. And it had a little airport, and I'm talking like a regional airport, where there's one baggage carousel, you know, and and one tiny little terminal, and that's it, there's nothing there. And so we get to the terminal and they go, well, this is where you're gonna play. And I'm thinking, T tonight or for, what? Who, who are we playing for? And he's like, no, no, if you come over here, you know in the baggage carousel where the thing goes around and then there's like a little raised carpeted area? Uh, right? <laughs> that's where we play. <laughs> on the one baggage carousel. And so it's, it's narrow and thin, and we have a three-piece band. And so we set up the drums with just like a tiny bass drum, a little snare and hi-hat, and that's it. And then I had a guitar, wireless guitar, plugged into an amp further over there, and the bass played the same thing, little microphones. And we set up there in this little in a, in a line, and we're playing. It, it was absurd, and there was nobody there. And <laughs> so I said to the, the airport manager, I'm like, so what, when do we play? He goes, we'll just start playing now. I'm like, but it's, it's like it's 1 p.m. There's nobody here. He goes, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll show up. I'm like, show up. You know? So we start playing. And, um, you know, some people came over. And then some more people came over. And we're playing. And we're like, this is getting pretty good. And we got a decent crowd. Halfway through the song, eh, eh, and all the bags are coming out. Everyone got their bags and left. So... Um, I just got on the thing and just went for a ride playing guitar. <laughs> so the, the, the key to the music business is know the arrival schedule. Yeah, yeah. know the arrival schedule, yeah. yes, and read the fine print. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard to follow that story. Uh, L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. You did your first record with, with Matt Rawling in 99. Um, the solo record, yeah. Yeah, yeah, your, mm-hmm. your first first solo record. But by the way, so you you had a deal with the the band, the ranch. Yes. Always in your mind to be a solo artist? Well, I, I always had been, but I'm a guitar player, so I've always had a band. You know, and and I the idea of just picking up sort of musicians in different places didn't wasn't my thing. I just wanted to so I had a band, I had a five-piece band in Australia, but when I came to America, I couldn't afford to bring everybody. You know? hmm. the, so I thought, well, what's the minimum I can perform with? And I went, bass and drums. I just, three-piece band. So unfortunately, the, uh, the keyboard player and the, my rhythm guitar player were the two harmony singers. Bass player and drummer didn't sing. So I found myself in Nashville with my three-piece band and me as the only singer of my band. <laughs> and it was, it was purely financial reasons. It wasn't an artistic decision but we ended up being this three-piece band for a long long time yeah, yeah. so working working with matt rowling first solo record mm. and, and we're going to talk you know quite a bit i think about the producer artist relationship because that becomes even more interesting as your career progresses but I'm, I'm wondering early on what did you learn in that experience from making your first solo record about songwriting about that you know that central relationship between the artist and the producer I went through a lot of sort of named producers when I was trying to... I, it was really hard making my first record. And, I, and I, again, I've heard it from a lot of musicians where you go into the studio and it's really hard to sound like yourself hmm. in that setting. Some, it's like a whole different world. And is, is it because you're hearing like every great song you ever... You, know, you kind of ever knew and you're trying to sound like those artists that you idolized in some I think way? in my case, it was hard to translate what I did into a studio setting because mm. I'd been born in a live setting. So everything was very live oriented. So suddenly being in that more sterile environment was not fluid to me at right. all. And um, particularly playing and singing with session musicians, I, I, I could never get it to work. It wasn't their fault. It just, I just, it just, I always sounded like I was singing karaoke. And hmm. I always seemed to sing on top of the track and not be in the track somehow. I couldn't, I couldn't get in the music. And it was just driving me nuts. And I went from producer to producer to producer. And it always sounded the same. I just couldn't, couldn't get what I wanted. So I said to my label, can I just use my drummer and bass player? I mean, they're the guys I use all the time. And so, yeah, that's what I ended up using hmm. on, the, on the first yep. record that I did with my band. I just, you know, I used those guys. And then afterwards met this guy, Matt Rawlings, mm-hmm. and because he was a, a piano, he's a fantastic piano player, he's not really a producer, 
I thought, I don't really need a producer. I need a really good player who I can collaborate with. And we can assemble the band, cherry pick the players and put the, the studio band together. Mm. You know, so it isn't just like the A-team or anything like that. Yeah, and it was likely much more about kind of playing live on the floor, allowing you to kind of get inside the music as Yeah, as it was just say. a huge learning curve for me. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. You hear often, you know, these days uh, about, you know, multiple producers working, you know, in one studio, everybody's got an opinion. And when the track comes out, it's like, there's no there there. Because there's so many people. Right. Kind yes. Of, yeah, you know, yeah. kind, kind of, kind of on it. You as the artist have to kind of keep that through line. Yeah. Yes. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's, you have to make sure that you're looking out for yourself, basically. Yeah. And it's, it's still, I mean, I'm still, it's always a balancing act, mm. it's, which, you know, the great adage that balance is never achieved, it's just maintained, is so true mm. in everything. And yeah. even in record making for me, it's that the balance for me is in being very sure where I want to go and what I want to do and who I am, but also being completely open to someone having an idea that's completely different to mine, yeah. but, but actually is better. And here, and this, is, this always comes down to my, my, the thing I struggle with as an artist the most and I think it's true for many, is that when I create something, I can only hear it for what it isn't. Huh. I can't hear it for what it is. I only hear it for what it isn't. I hear everything that it isn't. Because in my head, it's fully formed. And so once it's out, I'm listening to everything that doesn't match what's in here or here. And so I'm spotting all this stuff. And just because that's different to what's in here doesn't mean it's not working. Mm. Uh, you know, you can have 10 people around you going, it's fantastic. And you're like, no, no, this is wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. You know, and there's a balance between as an artist correcting those things because that is where you want to go. But also knowing that, no, your idea is limited. Yeah. And these and, other people's contributions have actually made it much better. And, and, and you were talking about being open to the possibilities, which is, which is a really nice segue to, you know, your last few records where you have really kind of pushed boundaries, worked with multiple producers mm. and artists and songwriters, mm. you know, to, to, to achieve something, I think, deeper and perhaps more expansive than, than your, earlier, your, your, your earlier records. Is this now kind of part of your playbook, if you will, that th that is kind of the path? In, in that it isn't about the one artist-producer relationship. It, it's, all, it's happened very organically. Yeah. You know, um, you were talking, we were talking backstage about the word intuitive. Yeah, yes. And I think that's a really, it's a good word because I think it's more intuitive mm. what I do. I don't overthink it. I just, I just sort of flow towards people that I'm interested in, songwriters, musicians, yep. producers, collaborators, and all sorts of genres. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a man Shazammer, so I Shazam all the time, tag huh. songs, always. What, what, is it, what is it about a song, particularly something that you might attempt to cover? Right. What is it about a song that attracts you? What, is, what does it have to have? Who knows? Something makes you hit that tag button. That's, it's, I guess, it's the spirit, isn't it? Yeah. Usually. Someone was talking one time about audio quality and the importance of that. We've got to get rid of this MP3 business because we've lost the quality and yada, 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 yada. And then someone said, what about if you way, way back, if you can, if you have a vehicle that has AM radio, mm. which I have this 1972 Chevy pickup truck that has an AM radio, Love that's that. all it's got, right? Yeah. And um, 
what, what is it when the, when the thing is just off the station because you're driving, right? And you know, you're into the song and you're driving and suddenly the station starts to drift off and you're still hanging onto the thing and you're loving it. What are you loving about that? It's staticky, it's mono, mm -hmm. it's drifting off, you can barely hear it and you're totally loving it. What's, what's doing that? It's mm -hmm. certainly not the audio quality. Yeah. So I'm interested in more of that. More of that, yeah. You know, particularly, you know, starting with Fuse and then the last record, you know, bringing in multiple producers. You, I mean, you had a great run with Dan Huff and still work with him. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but bringing in other, other producers and getting kind of input from, from lots of places. Mm -hmm. Does that help push you out, you know, kind of beyond your comfort zone, as, you know, the, the cliche would say, working that way to bring other people in yeah yeah and it keeps it um fresh and vibrant i think mm. and um yeah it's mm. and, and very present yeah it keeps it very present yeah that's the other thing about uh the modern recording process speaking of being present now you have the ability to infinitely tweak things to change yeah. them <laughs> to to add to them yeah and i'm wondering at some point because, and don't take this the wrong way, I sense you're a bit of a studio rat in that you could spend lots of time in the studio and be quite happy about it. Mm. Um, do you have to purposefully kind of restrain yourself at some point? Yeah, oh yeah, there's a lot of stripping stuff away and you know, there's always gonna be things that I wished had been a bit more minimalism and then other things I wished had a little more coloring put into them, but it's it's an ongoing process. Yeah, you know that's yeah. the thing. It's just an ongoing process. Yeah. creating. Yeah. Well, and and, and I, I love <laughs> this description about hearing that. You know, you you hear what's not there. Yeah. Everyone hears how great it is. Yeah, you know, the first time you hear it for what it is, about ten years later. <laughs> no, it's true. Well, but, you know, like if you hear a record you made, you know, or a recording that you did, years and years later, just spontaneously. Yeah. That's the first time you usually get to hear it for what it is. Hmm. You've kind of forgotten what you were trying to do. And a lot of the times you go, oh, that's kind of good. That's, I like that. What, you know, and, and that's sometimes. Do you, do you listen to your old material? Like, do, do you go I back? Don't, I don't seek it out. Right, right. <laughs> right, right. But um, if, uh, if we're putting the tour together, I might go back and try mm. to find some obscure album tracks and stuff that, yeah. might, that might fit. Yeah. Speaking of tours, as you write songs, and it's one thing to, you know, create in the studio and, you know, make them great. Um, another thing entirely than to take it on, on stage. Mm. And I'm wondering over, over, over time, especially thinking about earlier material, do songs change? And I, and I don't mean that in terms of, you know, well, mm. we change a chord here, we, you know, we do it in a different tempo or whatever. Mm. But the meaning, do, does, it, does it evolve in some way yeah, for you? Do, yeah, How so? Sure. Um, from a metaphoric standpoint, mm -hmm. I think, the songs can become just as relevant to me in my life, but, but for a different reason. Yeah. Because I, and back before I met Nick um, and got married, I, I was just, I sucked at relationships and, and had a just, I, um, yeah, I just, I, I couldn't give myself to a relationship. And so, mm. but I would write these songs about love and relationships. And I, I remember writing this song called um, Somebody Like You, which was on uh, an album I did called Golden Road. And I remember playing it for my girlfriend at the time, and she just looked at me and said, you're a fucking hypocrite, <laughs> you know? And I, I couldn't argue that, you know? <laughs> um, And it, I, I realized that I was writing from all these places of, 
the kind of person I wish I could be. Mm. I wasn't that person, but I wanted to be. So I would write like I was, but I was only doing it in song. In real life, it was a disaster. And I think the thing, the only thing that's changed in my life is that I've more so become that person I was trying to be. Mm. It, it strikes me whether you're writing lyrics or, or, or music, the, 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 the need to be authentic is key yeah, to if, yourself. Even as, if it's constant change. Yeah. If that's sort of, or um, conflict, confusion, that's all authentic too. Yeah. If, if that's where you are. Yeah. And fodder for great songwriting, you know, oftentimes. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. guy, I was in a meet and greet the other night and this guy said, you know, um, how do you write now uh, with no adversity in your life? I was like, well, first of all, I don't know anybody that has no adversity in their yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it was an interesting question because I mm. thought, well, first of all, it's interesting that you think you have to have adversity to write from, which I don't agree. Uh, but also, shit, I mean, who hasn't had adversity? If not as much now as back then, yeah. it's a lifetime of stuff to draw mm -hmm. from in the well. Yeah. Um, but also you can write from a place of, for me personally, of... Um, gratitude and hope and uh, and want and you know a lot more things I think there's just a lot of things to write about yeah um, I heard a terrific interview with the great songwriter Lucinda Williams mm. and and she too later in her life found her life partner her husband and they're very happy and somebody asked the same question well what are you gonna do now <laughs> that you know yeah. you're happy yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and and she responded by saying there is a deep deep well <laughs> of yeah. of all the experiences oh, yeah. in my life I got plenty to, to to go back to yeah if you choose to do that, yes you know yes exactly but she just completely dismissed the notion yeah that you know happiness then means you can't create um, going going back a little bit to uh, uh, recording and, and and studio work you know the sonics of, of your songs are now thoroughly, you know, kind of modern in their, in their construction. How do you kind of stay connected to technology, particularly in the, in, in the studio? Are you always kind of chasing the next sort of coolest thing in, in you know, piece of gear or whatever um, to help you create or, or, do you ignore that? Everything's fair game. Yeah. In in my world. Yeah. You know? uh, everything is happening now. I probably listen to new music mm. far more than anything else. Uh -huh. Yeah. I, I'm I'm more um, intrigued and compelled and, and inspired mm. by new music. Yeah. And then I and then there's certain old records I'll go back to and marvel at certain things how how things are done. But this for me this is a really fascinating time as a musician. And it gets into a whole broader conversation mm. about what qualifies the title musician these days, yeah. you know, in the EDM world particularly. Right. Um, and I'm a big believer that it's all just, it's all still musicianship. You know, if you're doing it in your MacBook Pro, whatever you're doing, and, mm. um, if you don't play an instrument at all, and there's plenty of guys I know who write and they don't play any instrument, wouldn't know what a C is from a D, wouldn't have a clue, but they still have to compose these things like a painter putting paint together in such a way that it makes uh, a compelling image. Mm. Um, that to me is as valid as a guy sitting there playing guitar and playing drums. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't discard that. Mm. Like so many people do, I think that's wrong. There are elements of that that you've incorporated in, in yeah. you know, into, into what you do. Yeah, yeah, I'm sort of almost, I'm, I'm 
love to collaborate with people that don't really play instruments. Uh, it's so liberating. Yeah. Yeah, well, we were talking about songwriting and, and working with Julia Michaels mm. and mm. that remarkable process or, or whatever it is she has, that intuition to just, yeah. you know, throw things out and then disappear. Yeah, yeah. We've written a couple of songs on, uh -huh. on, the, on the new album. Yeah. Um, the next single that's coming out is one we did and uh, she actually sings on it too. Right, right. But yeah, she's just so gifted. Yeah, Incredibly. yeah, yeah. And hard to describe. You know exactly yeah, she's just, how she does what she does. She channels. Right. She's amazing. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney Collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility Dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. So we've spent a good deal of time today talking about collaboration. You know, your, your work with producers, your band members. What is, it, what is it about you that makes you a good collaborator? You'd have to ask them. <laughs> I don't know. Um, first of all, the want to collaborate. Yes. What I want to find, if we do something, I know what I do, I know what you do, but I don't know what we do. Mm. So I'm interested in that third thing. When I worked with um, Nile Rogers, it was someone I really aggressively sought after, you know, sought out because I, I wanted to find him and create with him. So I've always loved his playing. I love his record making. And so I, I just said, I think if we can get in a room, we can do something really, really fun. And it was awesome collaborating with him for that very reason. Because mm. he, he did what he did and I do what I do. And we just played long enough for this 
third thing to sort of emerge. Yeah. That's what I love about collaborating. I imagine it also has to be about, you know, being open. Especially, you know, someone, someone at your level, two decades or more of remarkable success. I mean, I went through the numbers in the open, you know, 23 number one singles. That doesn't, that doesn't happen by accident, and it doesn't happen in a year. It happens mm -hmm. over a period of time. Mm -hmm. Keeping that level, you, you have to, I imagine, remain open to the possibilities. You can't get locked into no, one No, and thing. also I, I, I've heard it said one time, humility, the definition of humility is remaining teachable, and I think that's a good definition mm -hmm. for that. And I'm just curious. I'm curious and I'm hungry and I'm passionate about creating and where it can go and using everything that's here right now and people and uh, lengths of time in the trenches, if you will, because everything is valid mm. and can bring something. I think part of, the, uh, part of the remarkable nature of your career is as you've done that, your audience has come right along with you. Some of them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're not going to keep everybody because yeah. it's, not, it's not everybody's thing. I yeah. mean, and I'm okay with that too. I, uh -huh. I, you know, you, you make music and it finds people who connect with it. And then the other people who go, oh, I, I like the record before that. I don't mm. really care for this one. That's okay. Mm. I, it's, that, that's yeah. all right. Yeah. You know, I, you can't beat that over someone's head. You mm. must like this. It's like, no, I don't have to like anything. I, I'll tell you what I like, you know. It's just, it's very fluid. Yeah. And, and these days, the interaction with your audience is much different than it was when you well, started. Well, I'm sober now, so that helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Helps yeah. in a big way. <laughs> <laughs> that makes you more articulate, certainly, when you're, when, when you're talking. That's right. So I remember the show. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to an artist once. I was extolling the virtues of something that he did in like 1975 and he looked at me and said, you know, I really don't remember the 70s right. very well. Yeah, I remember uh, playing a show one time and I, very early on in my career and this is why you also have to have people around you that kick your ass and yeah. tell you the truth. And um, <laughs> I came off stage and I was like, that audience was terrible. And the drummer goes, you ever think it might have been you? And he just walked <laughs> off and I was like, oh my God, he's right, it was me, you know, and, and so. Got to have those people too. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but these days, speaking speaking of getting feedback, though, these days social media, you know, you're you're interacting with people in a way that you know, ten or fifteen years ago, you would not necessarily have been have been doing. I'm wondering what you know in terms of what you put out, what you post, what photos mm, or whatever. Mm, mm. Are you thinking about you know, kind of what people might be interested in? Are you curating as you go? It's, it's a tricky time right now with creation, with creating, because the self-awareness is very dangerous. Yeah. It's a very dangerous thing because ultimately we're critiquing while we're creating and that's, that's just death. Mm. You can't, it's a very dangerous thing. I think it has to be fluid. The way I approach everything is like, just do it. We can scrap everything after the fact, but let's do it and not think about it too much. And I learned a lot of that from my wife. Mm. That's how she approaches scenes in her acting. Mm -hmm. She'll like, oh, try anything, do anything. Just everything is open and it'll be very apparent if it sucks. <laughs> and we won't do that anymore, but, we, but you have to try it because yeah. in that thing that ended up being completely a failed attempt, there might be one little thread that was like, that's interesting. Hmm. Follow that a little bit more. Discard everything else, but follow that thing. That, that thing was interesting. And you would n I would never have discovered it if I wasn't, you know, dare to suck, basically. Hmm. Right. But this, this self-awareness thing right now, 
it's very it's a very delicate balance. Yeah, hard for, hard for you to kind of find your place in that and and be kind of um, appropriate. Well, and also the fact that it gets so cerebral that's a danger mm. too because it's not. I don't, who knows where all this stuff comes from? It's from the heart. It's from cosmos. I don't know wherever whatever you believe in. It's very mystical and magical. It's like it's alchemy. Yeah. I mean, you're making something out of nothing, mm. and suddenly a song exists. That's, uh, that blows my mind that that can happen, especially as a man who can't bring a child into the world. I can bring a song into the world. That's an amazing feeling. Yeah. I can bring something that will live on, uh, and I have a lot of reverence for that. Um, anyway, I just uh, went off on a tangent. Yeah, yeah, but, and, and, but and a good one it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and thinking of you know, kind of that bringing a song into the world, then presenting that song to an audience. Um, how much are you thinking about the audience as you're preparing for a tour? What, you know, what, goes, what goes through well, your mind? Well, I mean, for a tour, a yeah. lot. Yeah. I mean, without them, it's just one long sound check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God the audience shows up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's, it's, it's us. We're, I'm here to try and create an experience for all of us. Mm. And the audience can end up doing the same thing. They well, it, it is very much about, you know, we're kind of all in this together. All in this together. Yeah, it's, but it has to start with me giving energy mm. and giving everything to the audience. And if they give it back to me, then we start the loop. And the loop can just go and go and go and go. And it's, it's effortless for everybody. It's mm. beautiful. Yeah. But it's, um, it has to flow. If it stops either here or stops there, the thing starts to just wobble. Mm. As, <laughs> as you're writing, are you, are you thinking about how songs play live? As, as you're writing material? Uh, not as I'm writing. Uh, yeah. I mean, and there's, certain, there's a song on this record called uh, Never Coming Down. And m most of how I write is from the music. I, I, tend, the music, I tend to create the music mm. first. And then, <clears throat> unless there's a specific thing I want to say, but a lot of the times the music speaks, the music says something yeah. and um, drives something out of me. Um, there's a, the first song on this album uh, is called Coming Home. And I actually used a Merle Haggard sample um, to spark the song. So Merle's a, he's a writer on the song. Yeah. He doesn't know it. He <laughs> probably doesn't know it. Um, but he's a writer on the song. And because I've wanted to use a sample in a way in which sure. it could spark a new creation and mm -hmm. wrote this song. Um, but as a, I didn't have any idea what the song would be about. But when I started hearing this rolling guitar intro of Mama Tried, which was one of my favorite Haggard songs, it, made, it immediately made me feel of growing up in Australia and it made mm. me think of home. And so the song ended up being called Coming Home, but it was all driven by the music speaking and pulling yeah. that out. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, yeah. But from the crowd standpoint, there's a song called Never Coming Down on this new album, which uh, I wanted to write a song from the perspective of someone coming to a concert. Uh, so it's from beginning to end about going to a, show. a concert, a yeah. show, yeah. yeah, everything, the first verse, chorus, second, everything is about going to a show and being at a show. Mm. Switching gears, you know, a little bit, you know, you, you're, you're a husband, you're a father, you have, you know, multiple responsibilities, you're, you know, juggling lots of different things, you know, in your life in addition to being a musician and an artist. How do you, how do, how do you kind of stay present and not be... I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> I, <it's, laughs> Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs> it, uh, I'm not always. I mean, I screw up. You know, it's that I just. I'm, the, the only difference now between who I was to ten years ago, or a little longer than that, is I I, I 
admit a, admit the mistake and try and do something to correct it as quick as I can, um, and Own it. sort of Own try it. and defend it yeah. and justify it um, as much as I used to. Uh, but uh, that's that's the only difference because it goes out of whack, you know. I, it's it, it's putting a schedule together when you yeah. when you have um, a family, but it's still a touring musician and a wife who has a career uh, working sometimes very sporadically. Mm. I mean, my tour, I know my tour a year in advance. Nick might get a film with a very short notice and um, suddenly we're all going to New York for two weeks to shoot Mm. a film, um, which just happened recently. So I've got this weird thing of needing to be um, set with what I'm doing but very, very malleable in every little space that I can be. Yeah. Does it affect your, your creative process? I mean, I does it, it? I'm sure it does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. but it's made it very um, uh, probably chaotic in some ways. Mm. And actually, I think that's why working with multiple people has ended up being a good thing. Because if I work with six different people and next Tuesday suddenly I'm going to be in Los Angeles for the day, there's a handful of people I can call to say, hey, can we work on that song? Time. And if that person's busy, maybe that person's available. Maybe that, it's, So it's actually worked out to be yeah. kind of good yeah. for that. Um, we were talking about social media and your, your, your family life. And there's a very, you know, these days, there's a very fine line there about what you put out and, 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 and what you don't. Important for you to keep that side of your life out of your social media. Yeah. Outreach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing to hide and everything to protect. Yes. Is sort of the mantra that Nick and I have. Yeah. And and just trying to keep a normal family life as best we can. Mm. And uh but not not feel like you're hiding anything. Yeah. But you're protecting certain things. Mm. And you have a right to protect things. Mm-hmm. Too, you mm-hmm. So so you you've got a record coming out. We talked to uh, you know a little bit about it. What as as you're finishing it? Is this a nervous time as, as you're finishing a record? You know, kind of more, yeah. more, you know, more stressful to try <laughs> um, to get it to the finish line. It's it's whatever I let my head tell me is going on mm. at the end of the day. You know, mm. what I mean, like because I have a very good sponsor, and he said to me, Keith, do you know how much people think of you? I said, how much? He goes, rarely. <laughs> <laughs> and it's <laughs> the great leveler in all things because it's so true. Yeah. And um, so if I find myself getting nervous or anxiety about the record, I go, it's, it's just, it's, it's not rocket science. It's yeah. like, we're not curing cancer. We're just mm-hmm. making some music. It's all good. Just mm. chill out. Yeah. And then I'm, and then I'm fine. Yeah. It's yeah. the stupid ego that right. gets, you know, anxiety driving and all. It's just noise. Mm. It's just noise. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to put some good in the world. Yeah. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. And then. People do thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever. It's like mm-hmm. you just got to put good in the world, right? Yeah. yeah. In you know now, as as you said, putting you know putting good in the world is it, that's the point you're at now. Is 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 that the most you know kind of the important thing? Yes, you want you want to you know make hits and 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 make songs as you know as good as they can possibly be. But it's really about, I think, if I if I if I read you right, uplift. It's uplifting people yeah but I, th- I think i've always liked that i mean i think i was the peacekeeper in my family of origin you know mm. my I was, I was trying to keep the peace yeah and that's a that's a good um that that makes for a good entertainer i think you know um trying to bring everybody together mm. that's all I, that's that's what i've what i've loved about playing live yeah 
that that ability to and that opportunity to have everybody in agreement mm. just for two hours because it's pretty rare, yeah. rarer than it's ever been. Yeah. And and one of the things that that, that you've done, and and I know this a little bit from from personal experience, um, you go out and play and support causes that are important to you. Mm. You know, you 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 always show up. Why is that kind of involvement? for you important? When I was 10, our family's house burned down. We were okay, because I was at school at the time and my brother was, but um, we lost everything. You know, the whole place was just burnt, done. And, and that like really hit me. And, but we were members of this country music club called Northern Suburbs Country Music Club that you could just join if you loved country music. And so my parents joined up this club they were the first people to put on a fundraiser day for, for us mm. as a family. It's, it's like, it's like the, what, what a church would do, yeah. you know. Um, they were like our church, basically, and they, they put on this to try and get us back on our feet. Uh, I remember Goodwill giving us some clothing, mm. the Red Cross giving us some clothing, and friends letting us stay at their houses, and just everybody chipped in. And I saw this, this spirit in action at a young age, and it's always stayed with me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can certainly speak from uh, personal experience with the, the organization, our sister organization, Music Cares, mm. and you've been remarkably well, generous and know, supportive. Well, MAPS, you know, yes. uh, paid for my first rehab. Yeah, oh my God, okay. You know, in, yeah. uh, in 1998, yeah. and so that was it from that day on. I'm like, I'm gonna give money to these. <laughs> this is a good cause yeah. right here yeah. for musicians that need recovery mm -hmm. that can't afford it. Right, right. So, um, so here's here's what I know. Thank thank you so much for taking the time thank to have this, this too. have this we conversation. Yeah. Um, um, just terrific. We wish you nothing but the best with the with the record. Thank you. And I know you're going on tour um, at some point. Uh, but thanks for joining us, ladies My and gentlemen. Pleasure. Keith Urban. Thank you for coming in, everybody. Thank you. Okay, hard to believe that performance on top of a baggage carousel. Never doubt the next time you walk into an unlikely space and encounter live music, you might just be seeing a future superstar. Check out Keats' new album, Graffiti U, to get a sense of where he is creatively. And that's your required listening for today. We've got fresh episodes coming to you every Thursday. We'd love to hear from you. We're on all the socials at Grammy Museum. If you're coming to Los Angeles, I hope you'll come and see us. All the info is at our website, grammymuseum.org. As always, props to the team that brings this podcast to you every week. Jason James, Justin Joseph, Jim Canella, Lynn Sheridan, Miranda Moore, Callie Weissman, Mike Rohrbacher, Len Brown, Jason Hoke, Chandler Mays, Nick Stumpf, and everyone at How Stuff Works. For Required Listening, I'm Scott Goldman. We'll see you next time. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. 
like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.